Well, uh, so this is what, week three. And so we've, um, we're kind of bailing on the formal chapter by chapter that we've been doing, right? Um, and we're just trying to slow down and just talk about just the elements of the gospel and taking our time with it. Um, you know, we've been talking, the first two weeks we've really spent a lot of time talking about God and some of the attributes of God and what he's like. And uh, this time we're going to start talking a little bit about man. So you have, uh, just to kind of recap, in your mind, I've always wondered, not always, but for a couple of years, I've wondered where I got this from. You know, I go around, I tell people, you know, there's these four doors in your mind. Picture four doors. And behind those four doors is everything you know about these subjects. So like we're walking them up to the door and introducing them to God. But everything you know about God is behind that door. Anyway, I found it in our book this week. This is where I got it. Makes sense. Perfect. So we're in chapter or lesson two now. And we're talking about the gospel presentation. The following main points and verses should act as a doorway in your mind to an entire storehouse of biblical truth. And it says here, the order of the elements isn't of primary importance and may be reorganized to meet various evangelistic uh, situations. And, you know, we've spent two weeks talking about the first one, God, who, is, who created and owns everything. He's perfectly holy, and he demands perfect obedience. So I won't put you on the spot with your memory verses. Hopefully you have them. But above all, remember the sign above the door. The sign above the door says, God created and owns everything, is perfectly holy, and demands perfect obedience. And as you read, you probably already have a favorite verse for those points, right? Like you're reading, you know these things about God, and you, your favorite verse might not be our memory verse, but have a verse to tell people about how God is, how God created and owns everything and how he's perfectly holy and how he demands perfect obedience. Okay, so we walk them up to the God door, we introduce them to God, and we're looking for an opportunity to walk through that door and have conversations with people about God. Uh, not, hey, come in here with me real quick. I wanna tell you everything I know about God. The goal is to ask them questions, have conversations. So I'm asking questions. Tell me about God. What do you know about God? You know, however you start the conversation, wherever you are, wherever the conversation begins, you're always ultimately driving the conversation back to, tell me what you know about God. What, what do you, because as a famous man once said, this is kind of my lead in to God. I always use the A.W. Tozer opening line from Knowledge of the Holy. A.W. Tozer wrote, the most important thing about you as a person is what comes into your mind when you think of who God is. And so that might be a great way to, you know, people are just talking about the world. 
like especially the events of the last week, we just see just an explosion of evil and war in the world. And people are just trying to make sense of it. And they just have questions about things. And they say, with what's happening in Israel, by the way, today is what, October 11th, 2023. So from today and this last time we met last week, uh, Hamas was a, attacked Israel. So just for a little frame of reference in the future. Uh, so Hamas comes in and just the, the worst terrorist attack in Israel uh, that they've seen in the nation's history. And so the, they just see all this stuff that's going on and you really have kind of a bridge, right, between uh, God and who he is and what he's like. Why would God let this happen to Israel? There's a perfect opportunity to say, well, it's interesting that you mention God because what you know to be true about God is really important. Uh, there is a famous guy, A.W. Tozer, who wrote a book called Knowledge of the Holy, and it's a book. Just a nice little read, but it's all about knowing God. And in the beginning of that book, he says, the most important thing about you as a person is what comes into your mind when you think about who God is. And just think about that for the sec a second. The most important thing about you as a person. Now, if I hadn't said that, what would you say is the most important thing about you as a person? Is it your career? Is it how much you make, what kind of car you drive, where you went to school, you know? Is it your kids, you know, your sports team? What is it? You know, so those are good conversations to start asking questions. He says, yeah, yeah, well, the Bible says it's really true. The most important thing about you as a person is what comes into your mind when you think of who God is. So tell me, what, what do you think God is like? And then that can lead to conversations about, well, it's anybody can tell you anything about God, right? But what we want to know is what's true about God, right? Even when speaking with other Christians, right? When you're talking with another Christian, uh, you go to church, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, well, me too, me too. And you start talking about God and who he is and what he's like. And... Man, I think we just got to kind of camp out there for a while and talk about who God is and what he is like. Because if we get God right, who man is will start to fall into place. I know we've said this for two weeks in a row now, but it's really important because there are Christians who believe all kinds of crazy things or just have bad theology or no theology um, they claim to have faith in Christ, will tell you that when they die, they'll be in heaven, but they live a life that is in complete disobedience to God. In other words, they're not bearing good fruit. And Christ says, you will know them by their fruit. That comes back to a wrong view of God and who he is and what he's like. So, even as Christians, you were having these conversations, even as two different people that go to church, it's not what do you think God is like, it's what is God like? And you go to church and I go to church, and even us here in the same church, 
we have different views about who God is. And even for us in the church here, the most important thing about us as people is what comes into our mind when we think about who God is. And so we have, everybody has this, this sieve, this filter in their mind. And that, that filter is our view of God. It's our worldview and our, our view of God. It's the view of his word, who man is, Christ is. We're filtering everything. And so you take a hundred people out of this church and you ask them about who God is and what he's like. We're going to get a lot of really similar answers, right? Because we're fed the same thing. But you'll get some different stuff too. So how do you know, going back to the analogy of this being a door, and we're introducing people to who God is, but what I'm really concerned about is when I say our goal is to take them through this door and walk among the shelves and, and pull off the shelf everything we know to be true about God. I think before we go talking to other people about God and who He is, it's really important that we make sure that what's on this shelf behind this door about who God is isn't my idea of what God of who God is and what he's like. I need to know what does the Bible say about who God is and what he's like. I know that that's obvious to us, but just to say it and keep it in front of our face and always be on guard. Always be sitting there and asking yourself, okay, am I just thinking systematically? Am I just thinking of everything that I take in? How much does my worship music that I listen to affect what I think about God, right? We sing songs about, okay, here's a perfect example, a song that I love that we don't sing here, but we have in the past and we stopped. Um, but the song goes, uh, like a rose trampled on the ground, you took the fall and thought of me above all. Beautiful song. It's a great song. Is it right? Is it wrong? So I'm not here to debate if that song is right or wrong. I think it's wrong, but I, I still, it's a beautiful song. I love it. And I used to love it, but I think it's wrong. You took the fall and thought of me above all? No. He thought of obedience to, the God, to his Father, God, above all. He was obedient above all. Everything was God-focused with Christ. He was our righteousness, and he was perfectly righteous. Yes, he loved us. Yes, he died for us, but not above all, right? So see, even our music can sit and affect that grid that we filter everything through. So constantly challenge yourself, what is it that I believe? And why do I believe that? Because before I pick up this baton and I go tell people about God and who he is and what he's like, understand the weight that comes with that responsibility. That doesn't mean shirk your responsibility. And that doesn't mean don't go tell people about God because I'm afraid to mess it up, right? It's just 
Be a good steward of the truth. Be a good steward of God's word and sit and just work to do your best to know the true God of the Bible as he's revealed himself to us through what has been made, through his word, and through his son. And if we get God right, when we move over to the next door, man, this is going to be crucial because, boy, you thought people struggle with getting God right, right? You talk about the nature of man, the fallen, sinful nature of man. You guys have had the conversations. You know what it's like. Convincing somebody that there is nothing good that dwells in them, right? That's a hard sell. God knows my heart. I'm a pretty good person. Tell me this. If you were to die today and stand before the living God and he were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Question mark. Now you're asking them to tell me what you believe about yourself. Right? So first we're asking people questions to draw out of them, what do you believe about God? Now I want to find out what you believe about yourself. If you were to die today and stand before the living God, and he were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? And if they say, I don't think God would say that. Well, that's true. It's not a biblical question. But we're drawing out of them, what do you believe? Okay? If God were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? All right, what are some of the answers you hear? I'm a pretty good person. I do my best. I'm sincere. I think my good outweighs my bad. I'm certainly not perfect, but neither is anybody else. Like, we're not perfect. So I think God would look at my heart. Ah, no. Yes, let's talk about the heart of man. Did you know that the Bible says that the heart of a man is desperately wicked? So it's really important that we get God right before we move on to man. Sit and dwell with people talking about God, but then ask them. Well, let me ask you this. What would God say to you? Draw out from them what they believe about themselves. And it's always the, basically the same thing. Uh, it's rare that you'll hear somebody say, I think I'm going to hell. I've had two people in my life say that. Said I, they believe that they were going to hell. Uh, one of them, very religious. One of them, very not religious. Said, ah, hey, you're wasting your time with me. I already know I'm going to hell. And I'm okay with that. Well, so man, if you have ever done the, these are really easy verses, you probably already know them. Man has broken God's law, Romans 3, 10 and 23, there's none righteous, not even one. 
23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Man will pay the eternal penalty for sin. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Just that one verse right there. I mean, the conversation you can have from Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. The payment for sin is death. Have you ever sinned before? Like you said, Will, I, don't, I might not even know what sin is. So how would you describe sin to somebody? <clears throat> You can so you've got two different things there. One is a moral appeal, right? Anything that is just, you know, in your conscience, right? Your conscience tells you this is wrong. So it's not about living up to God's standard. You don't even live up to your own standard. You've let yourself down. Even your conscience tells you that you don't live the perfect life that God requires according to his law. Uh, the other one, yeah, so conscience, there's also law, Any, breaking God's law, um, we break God's law. If you're guilty of one, you're guilty of all, right? Any other thoughts? Sin? Uh, I've, I've always said anything, yep, James 2.10, anything opposed to the nature of God. If God wouldn't think it, if God wouldn't say it, if God wouldn't do it, anything opposed to the holy nature of God is sin. He is perfect. And if you do anything that God would say, think, or do is sin. So it's not just that you're guilty. It's not just that you have a sin nature. I mean, if you think about how many times a day you do something that is opposed to the nature of God. That moves it from the outside, things I do, to the things I think, heart attitudes. And that's really what Christ did, right? It's not just the law, it's the heart behind the sin. You've heard it said, do not murder. I said to you, if you're even angry with your brother, guilty of murder already do not it says you shall not commit adultery but i say to you to even look at a woman with lust for her you've committed adultery in your heart already so anything opposed to the nature of god so we really want to even when talking about man we're still the focus is still god like god is so perfect he is so holy that sin is not in him it can't come near him in any way. And that's kind of where the analogy of the two big magnets come from. Like God is this holiness and it just radiates this, this powerful holiness. If you remember the, uh, what was the Disney movie that had uh, the burning bush? Uh, Prince of Egypt, is that what it was? And in the, in the Disney version of the burning bush, like the bush is burning and... Uh, Moses is approaching the bush and he stops and Moses take off your sandals the ground that you stand on is holy ground he takes off his sandals and the burning bush is not just burning 
but it's a Disney burning bush. So of course it has just the glory of God radiating from it and pebbles are tumbling along the ground and just this, just this holiness of God. Or, so that's the Disney version, God's version is the cleft of the rock. So as he passes by and he covers the cleft of the rock with his hand and as he passes by and his glory behind it, God's glory reminds me of just like some kind of nuclear <laughs> radiation. Like it's just so powerful. Like we sit and we look at things in nature and we compare it to the finger of God, like a F5 tornado and that is powerful and scary to us or a bolt of lightning and that's powerful and scary to us but the holiness of god creates and destroys with a word like he is so powerful that in his presence people <clears throat> fall like dead men in his presence he is so holy oh. and we think that we're going to approach this holy god when we die and tell him about how our good outweighs our bad. And so you have this holy God who is just pushing away sin and no sin can approach him. And then on the other side, you have man who is sinful, not just I sin. It's not that I sin. It's not that I commit sins, but it's, it's not something that I do. It's who I am. In my heart, just the core of who I am, I'm sinful. I'm a sinner. And that's why man pushes away that holy God. We, we repel each other. And we create our own gods that we can approach. So we create our own mental image of who God is and what he's like. And that's why we end up with a Santa Claus God. You better not shout. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. He's coming. One day you're going to stand before him and answer. If you're good, you'll get a present. And it's going to be great when you wake up and that present's there. But if you're bad, you'll get a lump of coal. But then everybody wakes up Christmas morning and we all get the gift anyway. Nobody gets the coal. That's who people think God is. We have Santa Claus and God confused because we don't know that God is a holy God of perfect justice. So, keep God at the focus, even when we're talking about man. Everyone has broken God's law. Sin is anything opposed to the nature of God. Sins of commission, Sins of omission, things that we do that we shouldn't do, things that we fail to do that we should do. In Romans 1, when God indicts the pagans of the world for their unbelief, the main reason for the judgment rendered against them is that they did not properly worship God. They did not honor Him as God or give thanks. Man's condemnation, Paul says, can be traced to his failure to honor this holy God properly. If worship is the ultimate priority, like we talked about in lesson one, not to worship is the ultimate affront to God. 
In fact, a refusal to worship God properly lies at the heart of all that is evil. This is the distilled essence of every sin. Nothing is more thoroughly evil than failure to give God the honor due Him, says John MacArthur. John Piper says, Sin is essentially preferring and embracing other things and other people as more to be desired than the infinitely valuable and all-satisfying glory of God. This is the essence of sin and the essence of unrighteousness. God has given us His law and we must obey it. Sin manifests itself in our thoughts, our attitudes, and actions. It manifests itself in the words we say and in the words we fail to say and in the actions we perform and in the actions we fail to perform. Uh, God's law is written on man's heart as we talk about with the conscience. That's Romans 2, 14 and 15. Unsaved man responds to God by trying to suppress the truth, by covering it over with layer upon layer of sin. And what happens as you sin, you develop a callus, right? You become, as we say, hard-hearted. And so your conscience might bother you for a while, but if you normalize the sin, sin it enough and normalize it, and others around you do the same, you start finding other people that sin that sin, that can normalize it with you. And so then we together normalize the sin and we can sin the sin together. And so our conscience becomes seared. Next thing you know is I do it and then we do it and then all together we do it and approve it. That's Romans also. <laughs> we give hearty approval to those who do the same. We become a law unto ourselves. Society becomes hard-hearted, calloused, seared consciences. So we take them back and we show them the holy God. Romans 3, 10 through 11 and 23. There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. For all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. Why do these things happen? How can people do these things? Because there is none righteous, not even one. You can't say there's none who understands. Now, the Bible says there's none who understands. You can't say that I don't seek for God. You might seek for a God, or you might have your own image of a God that you pursue. But no one seeks the God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Ecclesiastes 7.20 Indeed, there is not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and never sins. And this is another one of my favorites that you can take just this one verse and just camp out. Go to lunch with somebody and just talk about this one verse. Isaiah 53.6 All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But... God has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. There's the gospel, right? We've all turned. Each of us have gone astray like sheep. We've each turned to our own way. But God has taken that iniquity of us all and laid it on him. A legal transaction took place at the cross. That those who would put their faith in that work on the cross can be declared not guilty. 
Not that God overlooks sin. Not that God just forgives sin. I guess that's another one. Oh, well, I go to confession. Or um, God forgives. You know, God, God knows my heart. I pray to God at night before I go to sleep. And uh, yeah, I mean, I confess my sins to him. I ask him to forgive me. Did you know God never forgives sin? You might hold on now. I'm a Christian, and you're bumping my paradigm, as they say. <laughs> okay. Is that true? There is every single sin ever sinned has only two options, right? Either Christ bore that sin for you on the cross or you will spend eternity paying the penalty of that sin, right? So can I just say, God forgives my sin? Oh yeah, I go to church, God forgives my sin. Tell me a little bit about that, right? Draw out of them, what do you believe? Uh, if we confess our sins, <laughs> sorry, if we can, uh, Romans 10, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I don't think that's the right verse. I think that's if you confess with your mouth and believe with your heart. Jesus says, Lord, I think I have the wrong verse, but okay. So you're thinking that through every sin only has two options. Either Christ bore it on the cross for you, or it is still on your ledger sheet. You will still answer to God, the perfect, holy, and righteous judge. Those are the only two options. That's a good conversation to have. Man is universally evil, Psalm 14.1. Unsaved man cannot comprehend the truth of God. He is separated from God by sin. Where's my Bible? You could start with Psalm 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night, and he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does he prospers. Verse 4, the wicked are not so, but they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. There's only two options. The righteous and the wicked. Verse 5, the wicked will not rise in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. There's only two types of people, the righteous and the wicked. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Romans 3.10, surprise, there is None righteous, not even one. So the consequence of sin is separation from God, right? 
we not only uh, alienate ourselves from God, we lack uh, obedience and joy of the Lord. We're alienated from God, Psalm 80, verse 4. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, neither is his ear so dull that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear. This separation leaves man on his own to deal with his guilt, hopelessness, broken relationships, and evil thoughts and actions. While on earth he has no ally, he has no advocate, no divine protection, no forgiveness of sin, only God's wrath upon him. That's tough. This verse speaks of eternal death, eternal separation from God in hell forever. We die not only because our bodies deteriorate, but because, you know, not just physical death, but death leading to eternity in hell, the penalty of sin. So, again, only two ways, right? Righteous and the wicked. You and I will spend eternity in one of two places, heaven or hell. We will never cease to exist. Our bodies will die physically, but our inner person, the real man that lives internally, will live forever. Matthew 10, 28, do not fear those who kill the body, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. If we die in our sin, we will spend eternity in hell, which is a place of eternal punishment. If our sin is forgiven when we die, we will go to heaven, which is a place of eternal joy, peace, happiness, and blessing, because it's a place of restored worship and unhindered fellowship with God. So we'll live eternally in one of those two places. Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed to a man once to die, and after this comes the judgment. Matthew 25, 46, and these will go away into eternal, in eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. You could also see Psalm 9, 17, Proverbs 5, 5, Proverbs 9, 18, Isaiah 33, 14, Revelation 20, 10. And then our last verse on the man card there, Titus 3, 5, good works and good intentions cannot save anyone. He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. I try to come up with some kind of a Bible-type nickname for everybody in my family, my nieces and nephews and stuff, so that every time I see them, I call them kind of the Bible nickname with a meaning behind it. So we have uh, Xavier, which everybody just calls him X. I call him expiation. <laughs> and so that he'll always remember that word expiation because that's what I call him. And so then that gives us a chance to talk about what expiation is. I have a nephew named Titus. So his whole life I've called him Titus 3.5. So like no matter where he goes in life, he'll always remember Titus 3.5. And maybe by the good providence of God, he will read Titus 3.5. And, and here he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done, in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration, and by renewing of the Holy Spirit. Of course, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, by, the, by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Uh, you could also look at Proverbs 14, 12, Isaiah 64, 6, 
Jeremiah 17.9, Romans 3.28, Galatians 2.16. You know, I think um, even, remember, these are conversations that we're having with people. And like the spectrum is everywhere, right? The churched and the unchurched. And not only are we sharing Christ to um, encourage people to believe and be saved, right? But we're building each other up. So even your Christian friends that you're talking to, we're talking about these things. It's really important, like the doctrine of depravity of man is going to be among your Christian friends, probably the biggest thing you talk about. Because they're going to say, I just can't get there. I just can't get to a place where man is all bad. There's nothing good that dwells in him. I believe that we're born good and we start to sin. Not that we are born in sin and we just keep pouring gas on the fire. And so I think when you're having those conversations, even with your believing friends that have kind of an Arminian theology or a man-centered doctrine, take them to Ephesians. Romans and Ephesians, like if we will just know the Gospels, just make yourself an expert on Matthew for the religious. Make yourself an expert on the Gospel of John for unbelievers. Make yourself an expert on the book of Romans and Ephesians. And like, remember what our goal is. Our goal is to get people to put their nose in God's word, right? Like we aren't here to arm wrestle someone into submission and we can't, right? We can't arm wrestle someone into submission. So whether it's with an unbeliever or even with your unbelieving or with your, whether it's an unbeliever or even with your believing friends, the doctrine of the depravity of man is going to be ouch, an issue fall over. Ephesians chapter two. And you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Okay, so first of all, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. Not sick, right? You were dead. To quote Pastor Rick, what do dead dudes do? That's right. Dead dudes don't do diddly. <laughs> what do you contribute to your salvation? Nothing. You have as much hope of contributing to your salvation as a dead man has from rising up and walking out of the tomb. You were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air. Who's there, God? the ruler of the power of the air, Satan, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Verse 3, this is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, among whom we all also formerly conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind, were by 
nature, children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, right? Being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together. Who made us alive? He made us alive. He didn't call us. He didn't say, so here's what I grew up believing. In um, my religion that I grew up in, we were taught that Christ died on the cross to open, throw open the gates of heaven. But it was my job to be faithful, to walk through the gates. Uh, Ephesians 2 disagrees. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ by grace. By God's grace, we have been saved. What is grace? Grace is a free gift, freely given. It can't be earned. It can't be deserved. If I bought you a Rolex and you're like, a Rolex? Yes, a Rolex. Why? You hardly know me. And anytime you've ever known anything about me, I've only been mean to you. I say bad things about you behind your back. Honestly, I don't like you. And you're going to give me a Rolex? Yes. Why? Because I want to. I like you. And I want to give you this Rolex. Uh, I don't know how much a Rolex costs, but I know it's a lot of money. Dude, let me give you a little bit of money for it. Let me give you 200 bucks. I, it's... You can't buy it from me. It's a gift. I don't want anything from it, right? Heaven is a free gift. It is not earned or deserved. That's grace. What's mercy? That's right. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. See, I have to go back and I have to talk about God and the holiness of God that repels sinful man. And I have to talk about man and how we are just desperately sick. Here's the issue, you see, because man is so desperately sick, so sinful at his very core. Like you said, try not to sin. If the wages of sin is death, right? How many sins did Adam and Eve sin? Well, we don't know in their lifetime, right? But in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve sinned one sin. The wages of one sin is death. If you sinned, we'll presume you're almost a walking angel, and you sinned only three times a day, that's over a thousand sins a year. Multiply that by your age. A thousand sins a year, I'm almost 50, 50,000 sins at best. I guarantee it's way more. And I have to stand before a holy, this holy God, perfectly holy and righteous. There is nothing about my sin that he thinks is funny, right? I have sins that I think, oh, that was pretty funny. Remember when we did that? That was kind of funny. God's not laughing. God is Dead serious. Dead serious. 
The wages of sin is death. And we have so much sin. So the point is, man is so desperately sick that if God didn't choose some to be saved, none would be saved. And that's the conversation we want to have with people, right? We can talk about Christ a little later and what he did for us. Obviously, it is the keystone. It is the hinge pin that all of the gospel turns on, right? And the last card, sinners, what is our response to all of this? You say it to believe, and how does that flesh out my life? So repentance and obedience, that's a, that's a really important part of it. This is all important. But man, we have to hang out and talk about who God is and what he's like. And who man is and what he's like. And understand that if God did choose some, remember when we go back to the very beginning, what did God create for? His glory. And what did he create man for? Same as the angels, to be worshipers. So he created everything for his glory. He created us to be worshipers of him. And we're not worshipers. We're idolaters. We are hopeless idolaters. And if God didn't choose to save some, none would be saved. I'm not saying go have conversations about election with unbelievers. I'm not. But I'm talking about with your Christian friends. These are the good things that we're ha- we want to have these conversations with our friends because it brings man down and it elevates God. And as believers, this is what we want to do. People that have a man-centered gospel and a man-centered theology, why is this important to be having these conversations with uh, other believers, maybe with an Armenian background, uh, a man-centered gospel background? Because they're going out and they're telling people a man-centered gospel, telling them to be good, be good enough, choose God. They're trying to work salvation in a dead man. They're doing CPR on a dead body. And they probably even think that they have the power to bring them to life with their CPR. Because that's a man-centered gospel. We have to remind people what the gospel really is. It's God choosing to save some. Okay, so if, uh, if God is the one that saves, man is completely dead, and I don't have the power to bring them to life, boy, how does that play into my evangelism now? What brings them to life? Remember our process? We want people to hear the gospel. And we want them to hear the gospel in a way that they understand the gospel. When they hear it and they understand it, we're calling them to believe it. And their beliefs become convictions. Their convictions are their grid work, their theology. We're discipling them. We're feeding them. We're building them up. We're helping them to filter everything with pure eyes from God's word to view God correctly and to worship him correctly. And then that those convictions become affections and they love Christ because they understand the holiness of God and the desperate situation 
that we are in as man, that we were hopelessly dead. And then the glorious gospel of what Christ did on the cross, that he is our righteousness and our atonement that we desperately need. And we see all the attributes of God displayed on the cross. And that's a huge deal. And because of that, I love Christ. And because I love Christ, I want to obey him. And because I want to obey him, I give my life, I present myself a living sacrifice to love and to obey him. And I worship him and we give him glory. And that's what he saved us for. Going back to our evangelism. So then what do we do? Well, we want people to hear it. We want people to understand it. It's the believing part, right? I don't have the power to arm wrestle you into saving faith. All I can do is be faithful with God's word to wield the sword because it's sharp, sharper than any two-edged sword, and it divides to the separation of soul and spirit, the thoughts and the intents of man, it cuts. Don't, don't alter God's word. Let it cut. Be there. Ask questions. Pull it out of them. Care for that person. And it's just amazing where God puts people in front of you and be less concerned about telling them what you know and be more concerned with pulling out of them what they believe. So ask more questions. Have them ask you for the answers. Keep asking questions until they want the answer. And then when they don't want it, you still give it to them anyway. But So we're going to draw out of people, what do you believe? Do you know what God says about that? And then we're going to give them the gospel. But the real thing we bathe this all in prayer. And that's the next step. We kind of talked about it a little bit last time in our last session, but if there's a part that we have in it, other than carrying the baton of truth and sharing the gospel with people, it's just praying, right? Because how can we have any sway in this situation at all? God is sovereign. And he will do as he pleases. And so what do we do? We beg him to save the people that we love. Father, give me one more chance to talk to them. Give me one more conversation with them, Lord. Lord, prepare the soil of their heart. Soften their heart. And I think, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, but we were saying one of the hardest prayers to pray is when you have a loved one and it's kind of hard to pray that God would crush them, right? That's hard. That's a hard thing to pray because they're your loved one and you love them. You don't want them to be crushed, but that is a hard heart. That is hard, stony ground. And that's what you're really praying for is, Lord, break up that hard heart that's in them. Do whatever you must to just prepare that soil to receive the gospel. And so you're praying for them. You're just pouring out your heart for them. And don't stop. Just keep praying for them. Whether it's just a coworker, these people that you are living life with, your friends, your relatives, your associates, your neighbors, pray for them, love them, care about them. And then 
yeah, all the random stuff, right? That you run into people at the store. I mean, just all the funny little things that God puts in our life. And sometimes you walk away from those and you're like, oh man, you like gave that to me, like set it on a tee and I just completely whiffed. Or I didn't even swing the bat and you feel kind of bad. Even in his providence, it's okay. God is there. Just continue to try to be faithful and it's, it's good. It'll be all right. And then the next time that happens, you're determined, I'm not going to let this one get by. I'm going to care for the Lord, give me boldness. See, like, I look at you guys. To me, you guys are just, you have more boldness than I do. I think when I'm around strangers, I think when I'm around strangers, I'm uh, kind of an introvert, but that's kind of an excuse. Um, kind of insecure. Like just, it's just awkward. I'm, I'm awkward talking to strangers about anything, let alone the most personal thing in my life. That's awkward to me. So I have to pray, Lord, give me boldness. And what gives me boldness is when I come back to these truths, right? Like you sit there and as you're reading God's word every day, like it's easy for me. Remember the analogy of the uh, jar candle? Uh, I think that was the first week we were talking about. So when you open your Bible and you start reading, it's like the flame is lit. And as you're in God's Word and you're meditating on God's Word, your heart that's kind of waxed over, it becomes liquid again. And when your heart, like that jar candle, becomes liquid, that's walking in the Spirit. Like your heart is not just soft, it's liquid. And you're walking in the Spirit, you're thinking on God's Word, you're dwelling on Him, you're thinking like Him, and you will bear the fruit of the Spirit in your life. So as you're sitting and you're thinking about these things and you're dwelling on these things and you're thinking about just who God is every day in my life and I think about who I am and what Christ did for me, like I just can't help it. It's easy for me to have those conversations when I'm in that mode. It's when I'm not reading my Bible every day. And it's not when I'm sitting and thinking through God's Word and dwelling on what Christ did. And I think about how desperately I need His righteousness and His atonement. I forget, my love starts to wax over, right? That candle, the flame goes out, the heart starts to kind of wax over again. And if you stay out of God's Word hard enough, long enough, if you stay out of God's Word long enough, your heart begins to grow hard and cold again. And you don't have a love for other people. And you don't have a love for God. And you don't care if you sin. And you just kind of go back. The flesh takes over. And you say things like, yeah, my faith has seasons. Sometimes it's spring and it's green and it's all new again and I'm fired up. And there's kind of, kind of harvest and I'm, or uh, it's summertime and I'm just kind of steady Eddie, just bearing fruit and Sometimes it's fall, like it just doesn't feel quite right. It just doesn't have the excitement. Kind of lost my first love a little bit. I'm still in the Word. I'm still effective, whatever, and I'm still bearing fruit. It's just not like it was. And then you go, I mean, man, I've got to be honest with you. I'm kind of in winter right now. Like I just don't feel anything spiritually. Like I still believe the same things. I just don't, 
I just don't, I'm not feeling it. Like it just feels cold. I'm just having a hard time getting in the mode or whatever people say. It's not that your faith has seasons and it's not that you just need to get back in the mode. What's happened is you've left God's word. You've stopped meditating on God's word and dwelling on who he is and what he's done for us. That's why your love has grown cold. So we've got to stay in God's word. You will have concern for others. Your worship will flourish. Your spiritual life will flourish. You will be hungry for God's word. You will have a concern for people that you are praying for them all the time. Even when you're not around them, Lord, I hope they're doing okay. Man, I, I know what they've been going through in life lately. So please just, uh, I just hope this situation goes a little easier for them. And just give me the opportunity to just minister to them and give them your word. I don't know. And then the phone rings, right? Somebody calls up, I need a ride home from the bar. Will you come get me? Or so-and-so's mad. You got, you know, life, the Lord, he hears our prayers and he cares and he cares for these hard-hearted people. We just pray, just pray for them. Just keep sharing the gospel. All right, so that is uh, lesson two. <laughs> lesson three in the gospel presentation, we'll start talking about Christ. So for next week, start memorizing your verses for Christ. Keep practicing your verses for God and man. Uh, if you haven't done it yet, record your verses on your phone. Play them when you get in your car on your voice notes. And if you're like, I hate my voice, it's horrible. I don't sound like that. My phone, something's wrong with my phone. Okay, fine. So I have those for you. Um, so your verses, did, if you wrote those down, if you didn't, I'll email them to you. But your verses are recorded, so you can just download an MP3 file and loop it on your phone. Um, I'm going to leave you with this. So I like to do, as an old radio guy, I like to do... I brought a clip. I like audio clips. And Bodie Bauckham, man, on Romans chapter 3. So this is just a short little clip, about five minutes. So good. So beneficial, I think. We look at our lost loved ones and all we see is the inconvenience that they bring when they come over our house with their stuff. And I don't mean their suitcases. Amen? That's all we see. And as a result of seeing just that, here's what we pray, Lord, when they come, would you please help them to just not be as horrible as they were last time instead of praying, God, this is who they are. They're not righteous. They don't seek after you. They don't understand. They do not do good, and nor did I. They haven't known the way of peace. Their feet are swift to shed blood. There is no fear of God before their eyes, and they need the gospel. Grant me wisdom to share what they need. And would you continue to break my heart so that I share it again and again and again. And instead of praying 
that they don't inconvenience me so much. Help me to pray that they would not offend you with their sin. Because the fact of the matter is, God, I am much more concerned about my lost friends, neighbors, and relatives inconveniencing me than I am jealous for the glory of your name. That's why we don't share the gospel. Because we don't believe this. That's why we're not on our faces before God weeping over people who've never heard God's truth. Weeping over places where there are no churches. Because we don't believe this. But we believe that somehow there are pockets of people in the world who are ignorant but not evil. Somehow there are evil people all over the place, but somehow there are people in the world who haven't had an opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And those people aren't evil, they're just ignorant. That's why we sit down and we ask questions like, well, what about those people? Surely, surely God wouldn't condemn those people. Do we need to go back to Romans chapter 1? They are without excuse. They too are not righteous. They too do not seek after God. They too do not understand. And they too are absolutely no good. That's why we must preach to them. Folks, this is why the gospel is good news. Because the fact of the matter is, neither you nor I would have seen fit to go and redeem this. And yet, God, being great in mercy, because of the great love which, with which he loved us, he did just that. While we were yet sinners, he did just that. Christ did not die for those who had a little spark and a little inkling that did something with it that made it worthwhile for him. Christ died for the ungodly. And it is because of his finished work and his shed blood that we are able to be saved. We get that. We get the greatness of the gospel. We get that. We get the majesty of our Savior. We get that. And we get some of these proclamations that we make week in and week out. Do you view your sin this way? 
only when you do will you view Christ's record. Did you follow me? Pretty good, right? That's it. All right, guys, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. Thank you that you created for your glory and that you created worshipers to worship your majesty. And then, Lord, even when your creation turned against you, the angels from heaven, your created man on earth, turns against you in full rebellion against you, waging all-out war against you, being lovers of self, coming out from under submission to your authority, your lordship over us. We make ourselves our own gods, lovers of selves, and we want to be our own gods. And even with all of your creation waging war against you, you still overwhelmingly overcome darkness with light and will for eternity you will continue to show us all of your good attributes and we won't wonder what you were like in theory but we have seen your glory and we have seen your majesty and your holiness We've seen your hand on every detail of every day, that every moment that ticks by, there is nothing out of your control. In a world that is dark and evil, people's hearts are growing cold and it feels like all is lost. You are there. You are saving dead men bringing them to life to sing your praises for all eternity. And then you put that baton of truth in our hands and you let us be stewards of your holy word, this good news calling others to you, your goodness. Just pray, Lord, that you would bless our efforts, give us boldness, give us love, and compassion. Give us specific people, Lord, in our minds that we can stop and we can pray for and we can think of. And we just pray that you would prepare those hearts, Lord. You know the people that we've prayed for for a long time and we've shared with for a long time and the seed just falls and nothing takes root. Loved ones that think we believe the same thing when we couldn't be more opposite. Moving in two different directions. And the day of the Lord is coming. And all will stand and give an account. And as Christ said, many in that day will say to me, Lord, Lord. And I will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. This isn't like a 
jail sentence. This isn't even like a life term. This is eternity in hell for our rebellion. We just thank you, Lord, that you are good to us and you saved us and opened our eyes, not because of anything that we've done. We don't deserve it. No merit of our own, not even a spark. Not that you even look down through the tunnel of time seeing how we would respond. And because we, you thought we would respond positively. Nope, we were dead. Idolaters, lovers of self. And just in your loving kindness, your good grace, you saved us. Just help us to be grateful for that. Help us to be filled with joy and hope. And pray, Lord, that you would give us plenty of opportunities to share it with those around us. May your goodness, your love, your majesty, and our praises spill over onto anyone who dares stand next to us. I pray that we can tell them of our great God and Savior, the one who created all things and holds all things together. You're so good to us, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.